welcome to the Joyful Doctor podcast. My name is Dr. Caroline Walker and I'm a psychiatrist and a specialist in doctor's well-being. Uh, these next few podcasts are going to be a special series of podcasts in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, looking at lots of different ways that we can support ourselves as doctors um, out there struggling through this um, these challenging times. So please, if you find these um, podcasts helpful, please do spread them far and wide uh, to your doctor colleagues and to other healthcare professionals or in fact anyone you think might be helped by them. Thank you for being here, thank you for listening. Welcome to this latest episode of the Joyful Doctor podcast. I'm really excited today to have with me Dr. Adam Harrison, who's calling in all the way from New Zealand today. Hi, Adam. Hi, Caroline. How are you? Oh, I'm okay, thank you. It's early morning here. I think you're kind of, is it mid to late evening there? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's just after 9.15 in the evening. But uh, it's all good. I'm excited. I'm awake. It's oh, fine. <laughs> yay. Oh, it's so lovely to have you here. Um, so Adam, for those of you who haven't met him before, is has a very varied career path um, as a doctor. He's been a, a GP. He then retrained as a barrister. You've worked as a medical legal advisor and medical director. I think you were LMC vice chair and urgent care lead and an appraiser. And now working out in New Zealand um, on the other side of the world to us here in the UK as a leadership and executive coach. I mean, a fantastic, amazing career path. It's so good to have you here. Um, and I know you're <laughs> particularly passionate about um, promoting healthy leadership in toxic work environments and, and supporting doctors who've been affected by bullying and harassment at work. And that's why I was so, so keen to get you on the podcast because I know it's such a big problem in in, in medicine so thank you so much for being with us today Adam. Oh no worries my pleasure thanks so much for having me it's it's a real privilege honestly thank you. Oh bless you um so we always start the podcast episodes by asking the same question what does it mean to you and um, to be a joyful doctor? Oh okay so um in terms of my clinical role um uh, as a GP and you know, I've been away from the UK for just over 18 months. I haven't seen any patients for, for that long. But um, when we come back, I'll go back to it. And, and I think the, um, I can't really talk about this without talking about my relationship with my patients and my relationship with my colleagues. Mm. Um, so I think every doctor wants to be the best kind of doctor to their patients that they can be. Um, and for me, that means... Like I want to get along with them as well as I can, um, you know, have a good relationship with them, but I also want to look after them in a clinically competent way. Mm. Um, so one of the things that's made my relationships with patients difficult in the past is dealing with, um, you know, high demands of patients or, or their relatives, um, high expectations within the confines of the NHS's resources, especially mm. the 10 minute, GP consultation system which I hate you know and it's a strong word but it's true um I just don't think it lends itself to providing the best holistic care for patients so I'm definitely more joyful when I have the time to do what I would consider to be the best job that I can for my patients um including giving them time to voice their concerns and for me to listen to them and undertake you know everything clinically appropriate um 
And then the other strand to it is, as I said, relationship with my colleagues. Um, and by that, I mean all of my colleagues, you know, GP colleagues, senior, junior, uh, other primary care colleagues, um, you know, admin staff, nursing staff, hospital colleagues. Um, I, I just am joyful when we're friendly uh, and professional, but, you know, that we're, we're getting along with each other and, you know, everything's sort of firing on all cylinders then, you know, when people are kind and courteous to one another yeah. instead of getting stressed and passing that on to their colleagues. Um, and, you know, using their colleagues as a resource to debrief with and solve their problems, you know, rather than just taking out the, you know, the anger that has been passed on to them by someone else, um, onto their colleagues. So I love working with within teams that get along well together and socialise together outside of work. That gives me a lot of joy. Um, and I know it sounds like an ideal, but I think it is possible. I have worked in places where that happens and those are the times that bring me the most joy. So Lovely. I can, Jack, I can really relate on both those counts. I um, wanted to be a GP um, and I, in fact, I did a GP job as part of my first year. Um, and it was lovely because you had sort of 20, 30 minutes appointments and long sort of breaks over lunch where you could catch up on all your paperwork and it was really well supported. And But in that time, I really... I really kind of came to the realization that I couldn't possibly enjoy it in the way I wanted to if it was 10 minutes um, per patient. So for me, psychiatry was one of those things that gave me that opportunity, I suppose, to spend longer with people and to really delve deep. And and also that idea of uh, the relationships, you know, I think that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's one of the most meaningful things in our lives as humans, the relationships we have with those founders and yeah so tell us about a time when you perhaps weren't such a joyful doctor oh well you know I'm not unfortunately alone in this um like most doctors um I had some very dark days when I was a house officer and when I was a surgical SHO um but for me there were a lot of tough times when I was a junior GP so qualified but fairly recently qualified GP and also when I was um a medical legal advisor for one of the defence organisations. Um, I had some um, surprisingly tough times. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't expecting to to have the interactions that I had working for that organisation. So um, most of the joyless times that I've had at work were as a result of being treated in a an unnecessarily unkind way, or just you know, calling what it is being frankly bullied by senior medical colleagues um Mm. i can still remember most of those situations quite vividly or at least i can recall the way that i felt at the time even if i don't recollect the actual words that people used but i'd say those interactions were among the most unpleasant i've ever experienced inside or outside of work and it's interesting that people moan about you know when patients are horrible to them but these were usually nastier than any of the worst behaviour I've experienced um, from patients, to be honest. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I think it is incredibly common. I was I was thinking before this interview with you today, um, Adam, about my own experiences, and I I think I estimated, like many, many junior doctors, I rotated around a lot of different jobs. So I had about 15 different jobs mm. uh, as a junior, and, um, and I think probably about one in five, that I can remember two or three of them at least that had, uh, where I had similar experiences, you know, feeling directly mm. or harassed in some way. And I think it is just incredibly common. I know 
um, it affects a lot of the doctors that we support at the Joyful Doctor. So I was really, it's one of the reasons mm. I really wanted to get you on today for us to talk about this because mm. I don't know about you, but for me, one of the worst bits was feeling so alone with it, so isolated mm. in my own head with it. Um, was that yeah. your experience yeah. kind of when you were going through those times? It was, it was. Um, it was actually um, talking to uh, one of my medical students in Darwin who had had a really awful time on her first ever clinical placement that actually brought a lot of this back for me, got me thinking about it again. And and between about 2000, when I qualified in 2008, when I qualified as a GP, I, I just kind of did a, a quick brainstorm when I heard my medical student um, telling me uh, what happened to her. And I, I could think of just off the top of my head, eight uh, situations that I could remember quite vividly um, where I'd been, um, you know, on the receiving end of some really brutal treatment. And it, it, the funny thing about, you know, what you say about being isolated is there's, a, I suppose, a couple of strands to that. One is that when the perpetrators brought me to into their offices or whatever to to talk about it and give me a dressing down and uh you know belittle me and intimidate me there was usually more than one of them and it was just me and they were you know there was a massive power mismatch yeah. Yeah. you know they were consultants or gps of some se serious seniority mm. you know mm. um and so that obviously you're sitting there on your own there's there's never any suggestion that you know do you want to bring someone with you to this this meeting yeah. you know it was like you know they're kind of like a pack of a pack of wolves or something kind of sing, singling out the weakling sheep or whatever do, do you know what I mean and it was um one of the but one of the really um awful situations that I had that I don't know on reflection I may not may not be bullying but it was it was so severe I, I felt it was a bullying incident um was actually a consultant who uh just bawled me out on the ward in front of everyone yeah, um, exactly. in front of about 10 of us, mm. like, you know, um, med students, junior doctors, nursing colleagues in a bay of about four patients in front of the patients, yeah. you know, and I but then the spotlight is really on you and you feel isolated then, don't you? Yeah, Even though you've absolutely. got people around you, well, I think you know, um, no one sort of says, oh, sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. I'm just so no, no. when you're talking, it's just so I mean, the same thing happened to me. And, and so it's just bringing yeah. really visceral feelings for me as well. And I think um, yeah. the worst thing you can do to another human being is to ostracize them from the group, is to make them feel singled out. Yeah. If you imagine that child yeah. on the playground that's being bullied, they are being singled out, yeah. being made to feel different. And that's exactly what's happening on the ward yeah. when your consultant sort of shouts at yeah. you. There's, I remember one that yeah. hurt me for not knowing a particular drug and it was it was a pretty rare drug it wasn't you know something yeah gay, like you know paracetamol or something it was quite and and I just remember the shame and the kind of the the feeling yeah. just oh my god I'm such a terrible doctor yeah that kind of sticks to you yeah 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 and you and as you said it, you, you talk to other people about it and it just brings back those feelings because they, it, they are feelings, as you say, it is visceral. It's not mm. uh, the words you won't necessarily remember, you know, but the, 
the emotions will come flooding back. Well, I think um, they're like, they're like and, mini trauma memories, I think, aren't they? And what happens is yeah, you, you're, yeah. the part of your brain that's emotional goes into overdrive. And so mm-hmm. you actually yeah. implant or remember those memories differently to say an average memory of like what you have for breakfast or something like that. We, yeah. bullying and yeah, yeah. memories, we store like trauma memories. They become really mm. very vivid and they're often quite... Um, physical like you'll often like you say you yeah, yeah. It beautifully you remember how it feels you might not remember what they said but mm. you remember how it feels yeah mm. Mm. i mean that that one on the ward i didn't i didn't actually cry um in you know in that situation um but i i you know uh, when you're so so angry probably angry with yourself and, and frustrated that you start crying not necessarily crying because you're sad or upset but you um you know it's it's yeah it's a, it's a different kind of crying and I've been in that situation a few times on my own with uh two two or three consultants or senior GPs and you know you're just sitting there with the tears rolling down your face and they can see that you're crying yeah obviously <laughs> uh and there's yeah. no there's no humanity then there's no kind of like would you like a tissue or 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 they you know put their hand on your arm to try and comfort you it's just it's just horrible yeah um and so is this experiences like these what got you interested in in sort of um working with uh leaders in in toxic work environments and trying to help support other doctors going through similar situations do you think I, I think so. And I think that um, that scenario that I told you about, whereby my medical student told me what happened to her mm. and it brought all of my memories flooding back, um, was was a bit of a, a, a sort of tipping point for me, really, because I, I obviously want to um, coach uh, leaders and, and their teams because I want... Um, you know, leaders to be kind and compassionate to their to their teams, and f- for them to function better as a result of that. You know, and not not be toxic. Um, but I suppose it just gave me a little bit of a an epiphany, really, uh, if that's not too strong a word, that I needed to be working with the people on the receiving end of the toxic leadership. Um, and then there are a few little things happened, um, speaking to some some people like um, the lovely Tim Ojo. I don't know if you know uh, Dr. Tim. Um, he's another psychiatrist. Uh, and he's the head of coaching for the Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management. And, and he's um, very much into, into bullying, um, not not causing it obviously yeah. <laughs> helping with it yeah. uh, sorry Tim uh, get that clear um and um yeah and then I I, I spoke to um a uh, a lovely uh ex-nurse who's trying in the states who's trying to get together a, a bunch of physician coaches um and uh, yeah we were just talking about what kind of area I might want to specialize in and then there were just these nudges the universe was giving me nudges basically mm-hmm. and um I, I think I think yeah all the stars aligned and I just thought yep yeah, this is actually what I need to be doing um uh and so now that's what what I want to do you know um and so what do you find I mean what are the most helpful things do you think if someone's listening to this now there's a doctor out there who feels they're being 
you know, bullied or harassed in some way, what sort of things mm. would you be saying to them? What sort of things would help? I think the first thing to say is that, um, okay, so I, I think there's a distinction to be made between someone who uh, is officially being bullied, if you like, and someone who feels like they're being bullied. And I, I don't care whether they're not officially being bullied. If they feel like they're being bullied, then that's what that's what's important to me, you know. And if if they if they're feeling uh, like a victim of this uh, awful toxic behaviour, I think you know it's it's so it's so important to let them know that it's not their fault. Mm. Mm. It's really not their fault. Um, secondly, that it's sadly it's just extremely common yeah um and so they're not on their own they're not alone um and the regardless of the feelings that they are experiencing like you said shame mm. that there isn't there isn't any shame in it mm. and that's really that's really hard for them to take on board actually because they they do think they're to blame they do feel like they're on their own and they do feel ashamed yeah. Um, yeah. But actually, I think um, if we and, can, if we can let them know they're not alone, and that you know we've been through yeah. this too, that this that is common. Yeah. Be okay, but it does mean that it's not just you. Mm. That this is happening to you. Somehow that does mm. just diminish the shame somehow, doesn't it? Because I mm. I found that when I I remember um, a particular period of experiencing bullying uh, relating to one individual, and what helped me the most was talking to somebody else who'd experienced it from that individual because it just kept reminding me that this wasn't personal you know this wasn't about me this wasn't something yeah. I've done wrong yeah yes there were absolutely things I could learn to do differently to manage it for myself and to feel better um but it, the actual bullying and harassment behavior itself was not about me you know mm. wasn't personal and that really helped me in that time but that's so um, incredibly courageous of you to open up to that other person yeah, because not, not easy. The sh yeah, no, because it's the shame that stops you from disclosing it because yeah. there is a huge stigma attached to it. Yeah. And um, that's where I wonder where things like coming to talk to a coach or um, you're even a healthcare provider like your GP or like here in the mm, UK, mm. we have the practitioner health program. Um, for free and confidential support you know whether accessing somebody mm. outside of what's going on can be sometimes quite helpful because it can feel a bit safer a space where you can open up and you don't need to worry about the consequences mm. Mm. yeah no definitely um yeah having that having that objectivity the yeah the um someone who's has no influence on what's going to happen with you at work um and just someone that has that expertise though and you know uh i i say ideally in a in a strange sort of way but someone who's had that experience as well and uh, who can who can empathize with it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is why i think you know it's not is a bit cheesy to say it's my calling but you know maybe you know, certainly i feel that i can offer more because of my experiences yeah I wanted as well and I, I wanted to get your um your thoughts on this Adam I was thinking and reflecting another thing that helped me was to try to 
think about the person, the bully, the perpetrator, the harasser, mm. and mm-hmm. try to kind of almost find some compassion for them and understand why they might be doing what they're doing. Because for me, it helped. It really helped mm. me. Sound silly, but to remember that they were born a baby, right? Just like the rest of us, mm-hmm. they weren't born kind of <laughs> like. At coming out of the womb bullying you know I mean there might be some people who've got a slightly more <laughs> bullying nature than others but um but yeah you know, something I, th- I find particularly in medicine I wonder how much of this bullying culture is role modeled how much of it is learned how much of it is just the way it was yeah. done to me therefore I have internalized that and it's the way I will do it to others and I'm not saying that excuses it or makes it okay but what it did do was yeah. help me to see that you know, this wasn't necessary. Again, it wasn't about me. That there might be yeah. going on for this other person. That they are in a situation yeah. where they're only they haven't learned how to do this in a different way. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. know if that makes sense. Is that something that's helpful, or am I? No, I. I think you're, you're absolutely spot on. So, um, I'd sort of call that reframing to use a neurolinguistic yeah. programming term. Yeah. Um, so reframe it to enable the victim to depersonalize the issue. And I think that's, it's easier to depersonalize if, as in the example that you said, you have the strength to speak to someone else and you find out that they've experienced the same as you, then yeah. that's two of you who have been bullied. But, but equally, you can, you can do it, you know, sort of um, on your own. As you say, to see the bully as a human with reasons for bullying which are not personal to you as the victim. So their own work-life stressors, mental illness, um, you know, all of that can be helpful and, and you know, powerful even, I think. Um, yeah, I agree. I definitely found it with um, a couple of the people I've come across in medicine that they've actually been extremely anxious and this was the, mm. almost their way of managing that, their way of controlling that somehow, their way of being okay. somehow managing their environment. Like, I don't know if that's yeah. what you've observed. In- the persona that a persona that they they kind of uh, created. Yeah, I, I think the um, I think the key thing is intention. You know, um, we're we're all. Um, we're all capable of uh, being, you know, shitty to other people. Yeah. Um, if we've if we've had a bad bad start to the day and we go yeah. in and we'd had a, a row with our partner before we come to work and it's still preying on our mind and then we just end up uh, snapping at one of our colleagues and it, it maybe just snowballs and it becomes more than just just yeah. snapping. But it's you didn't ever intend to go out. You didn't leave the house that day intending to harm. Or, or belittle or intimidate someone it just it just happened yeah but then obviously there are people who you know that thankfully in the vast minority you know those people with malignant narcissistic personality disorders who do want to just show that they are the alpha and they are in charge and you know you are not nothing to them um so it's it's uh and and if you if you can figure out that the intention wasn't wasn't there to mm. harm you, then that makes it a lot easier to to stomach. I think. Mm-hmm. So, when you're um, working with doctors who perhaps been bullied or harassed, mm. some of the things that we've been talking about today, what sort of things um, do you 
recommend for them to help them are there any resources or any places mm. they could go to to have a sort of read about these things or learn about these things a bit more um yes um sorry Carol. i was gonna i well, i thought you were gonna like lead down the um is there anything else you'd recommend uh, yeah, to, no, go for in it. your go coaching for it. wherever, wherever um, your head's gone go with it yeah what would you recommend it from the coaching of them <laughs> can you edit that bit <laughs> we won't need to don't worry people know <laughs> people know it's just a conversation don't worry um so what's what came to mind i mean i'm intrigued what was the other thing that you were thinking of with yeah them? well no it was um just um i think in the in the acute situation it's really uh it's really hard not to go into that fight or flight mode isn't it when yeah. you're um amygdala is is in overdrive so just i sort of teach people about standing their ground um feeling their ground feeling their feet on the floor centering themselves yeah calming themselves down by performing some box breathing or some some other ways to calm their amygdala down so they don't go into that full um full-blown panic mode box breathing Um, haven't come across it i love box breathing as a technique it's just um breathing around the edges of a box so you imagine there's a square in front of you and you just breathe along one side you breathe in for four and then you breathe along the other side of the box you hold your breath for four then you breathe out for four and then you hold your breath for four. If you Google box breathing or square breathing, it's used by the Marines. It's used by doctors and nurses all across yeah. the world at the moment, dealing with very stressful situations. It's really powerful. Just one or two box breaths yeah. really start to get your sympathetic nervous system back under control a little bit, can't it? And just drop you into a slightly yeah. Yeah. space. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We can think a bit more clearly and act a bit more rationally, I think. Um, I, I do uh, talk to a lot of um, doctors in this situation about the positive effect of affirmations. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, um, yeah, you use them or well, I, if you, you recommend I do, them. Well, I can remember to. I, because I have a very, very active internal <laughs> critic. Um, my little critical voice goes Yeah, through. yeah. Um, and so yeah. actually, for me, yeah, it's very much, if I listen to that, I'm going to feel bad. If I actually say something yeah. positive and affirming, and then I'm going to feel better. Yeah, yeah I absolutely. Yeah, agree. yeah, really. Yeah. Um, there are some specific ones that I I would uh, obviously it's good to find your own affirmations or write your own affirmations so it's mm-hmm. in your language and you're comfortable with saying and using them. But things like if it's to do with bullying, yeah. something like I am courageous and I stand up for myself. Nice. So, a really putting you in um, of, of a certain yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than in that kind of exactly, of, exactly, know. yeah. Or, or along the lines of what we were talking about before, in terms of trying to understand why someone might be behaving that way. Something like I forgive those who have harmed me in my past and peacefully detach from them. Mm. Um, and then say things like it's um. I'm a good person and I haven't done anything wrong because for me it was just reminding yeah, that's... myself again it's not it wasn't me you know all I did was show up that yeah day yeah yeah heart um yeah and um yeah things like that yeah that's really good I like that that's really really simple and effective um but they're as you say they're really good for reducing 
negative mind chatter, which can contribute to imposter syndrome, which I think is uh, quite oh, a topic. common <laughs> side effect. Yeah, it, it's just, you know, people who've been bullied um, suffer it even, even more acutely, you know. Yeah. Um, um, then there's some sort of mind, mindset work, turning limiting beliefs into power beliefs, um, getting the victim to visualise or you'll be familiar with the the visual auditory kinesthetic um model um but you know s- some people depending on their the vak preference will visualize or hear or feel things yeah. um and uh get them to use that sense to imagine their life free of the challenges that they're currently facing and and that will give them a goal to work towards. So, for example, if you are, I think, 80 or 90% of the people are, are visual. Um, it's like, so see yourself free of these, yeah. these sort of mental or emotional shackles, maybe a year, two years down the line. Yeah, I used to and actually visualise that. And yeah. 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 And, and even in um, the worst days, I'd have a, um, a little... Uh, kind of almost like a calendar of post-it notes on the wall to count down the weeks I had left in that job because it was just a way of reminding yeah. myself yeah. each day you know there's not long left I can see to the f- a point in the future where this isn't going to be happening anymore yeah 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 no that's that's good um I teach them about Covey's circles of control influence and concern yeah um so ask them to think about what they can and can't control or influence and concentrate on what they can choose to do something about. So you, you can control your own thoughts to an extent and you can tr- try to get rid of some of that negative chatter. You can control your own actions and your reactions to other people's conduct, but you can't control other people's actions or thoughts. Yeah. But then in terms of influence, influence is a good one because you can work with um people who've been bullied to empower them to become more influential and assertive Mm. and use these skills to take the conversation to the bully and persuade them to stop, you know, and it's just, I suppose, um, calling them out essentially is, is, uh, uh, you know, what is what they're doing essentially. Um, But also I think a lot of people who are bullied are very afraid of conflict and will just run a mile. And so teaching conflict management skills is is really helpful and powerful as well amazing so, uh, so yeah so there's some of the things i do yeah so there's so much that can be done to help and that's really yeah um, wonderful thank you for taking us through those are there any um uh places where people can go to learn more about this are there any um resources you'd recommend or things like books or yeah um particularly yeah definitely yeah definitely um so i'm actually um just uh, i've just received and i've just started dipping into a book that was recommended to me called bad boss oh. by um an australian leadership expert called michelle gibbings who's worked in the corporate environment at, at high levels um and the the sort of tagline of bad boss is what to do if you work for one manage one or are one ah. and the book is literally broken down into that if you you yeah. know are working for um, a toxic boss or whatever um and so it it just teaches you how to determine where the problem really lies like is again is it something about you is it something you can do to kind of like shift that 
um, that problem. Um, identify your role in the bad boss situation. And I think that might be a little bit akin to the, the drama triangle that um, mm -hmm. uh, I know about from Dr. Rachel Morris. Um, uh, strategize your best options and take action using various tools and then reflect and monitor progress for long-term gain. So it's, it's a really interesting book. Um, and I definitely recommend that. And then in terms of a, another resource that I thought of, um, because unfortunately, you know, not everyone is strong enough to get through this. And some, some doctors will just say, you know what, uh, enough is enough. I've been bullied too many times on too many occasions. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't want to stay in medicine anymore. And, you know, they may want to transition out of medicine or at least go part-time or something like that. And there's a fantastic um, online resource um, called um, Medizom, which is a, uh, a contraction of medic zombie which sounds intriguing i suggest um people do do look at it it's uh medizom.com the tagline is find your own path be more human and it was founded by a gp trainee called dr ross mckean who's a, a just a lovely lovely person and a oh, fantastically so switched on brought, guy yeah i'm so pleased you've mentioned him because he's coming on the podcast yeah. i'm going to be interviewing him soon so yeah. all about oh he's gonna be he's gonna be amazing yeah. Oh yeah, no, that's great that you're having him on. Um, but yeah, he sort of talks about um, the compassionate side of medicine and how to scale what he calls the medical mountain. Um, and his website has a virtual med school and virtual hospital with lots of helpful careers resources for doctors, including links to um, some careers coaches and, and oh, yeah, so really it's, it's a great resource. And, um, yeah. yeah, thank you. No, brilliant, brilliant um, recommendations. Both of those. I am. Um, I love the way he uses uh kind of visuals cartoons and quirky ideas yeah fun just to inject a bit of yeah interestingness into it it's lovely and i'm really pleased you brought up the drama yeah, yeah. idea from um transactional analysis and that the idea that we yeah. often find ourselves on one point of this triangle either as a persecutor yeah a victim or a rescuer. yeah and we see that so yeah. much in medicine, don't we? How we're, we're so happy to inhabit that rescuer, but we can also slip in yeah. and victim a lot. So it's a really helpful idea. Just, yeah. Um, if that's something people want to learn a bit more about, definitely I find that really, really invaluable in every yeah. medical life. Um, so sadly, we're sort of coming to time. Um, Adam, I could talk all day with you. Um, but if you had to, if you if <laughs> your last chance to sort of say something to a doctor out there that's listening to this that's perhaps feeling bullied or harassed in some way like what what one thing would you want to say to them right now um so in a, in addition to what we said before about um just letting them know that it's not their fault and then they're not alone um i would just say um in terms of trying to inject a bit more joy into their working life which is what joyful doctor is all about thankfully um i would say firstly uh, and this is an ideal love what you do and do what you love you know we spend so much of our lives working uh, and life is short uh, and covid has taught us uh, that if you don't if you don't love your job um then restlessness unease or even frank resentment will inevitably settle in eventually so try to love what you do and, and do what you love um reflect on what your values are um or if you don't know what your values are like i didn't until three years ago i'm ashamed to say 
um, do a value survey like the values in action character strength survey to discover what they are and try to work within an organization that's the free one you can access online isn't it it is yeah so what's it called the values in action yeah character strength survey so i I could that in the show notes for people yeah to access that it's such an amazing thing to do um and it was was hugely oh Oh, isn't it so eye-opening and as I say it's like how did I get through 43 years of my life without (laughs) kind of like knowing this like fundamental stuff um but try to work within an organization or with other people whose values are aligned with your own um because you'll soon sense a deep dissatisfaction within your workplace if your values and those of your colleagues or employer are out of alignment with yours and then my last little tip, if I can have one more. God bless, bless you. <laughs> I, I would say, and this is really um, in, important to me, um, so I'll recommend it. Using the word value again, but in a different way this time. Work somewhere where you feel you are providing value to your patients, colleagues or employer, but in turn, somewhere where you feel you are valued, that your contribution is valued. Because again, if that's not the case, you'll almost certainly begin to feel unhappy at work sooner or later. Yeah, yeah, so, so true. And such wise that's it. Thank you so much, Adam. If people would like to get hold of you, how can they get hold of you, follow you, etc.? Where are you? Where are you hanging out online? Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn and I do do a bit of LinkedIn teaching for doctors. So my LinkedIn handle is just Dr. Adam Harrison. Um, I have a recently resurrected Facebook page, which is just at coaching, mentoring doctors, one word, coaching, mentoring doctors. Um, on Twitter, I'm medical leadership coach with capital M, capital Allen, capital C. And then my email is just dr.adamharrison or one word at gmail.com. Wonderful. We'll put all of those in the show notes from today's episode so that if people want to get hold of you, if they would like to work with you, they can. Of course, they can also get hold of you through the Joyful Doctor because we're very lucky you're one of our Joyful Doctor coaches. Um, so, yeah, if you'd like to work with Adam, please do get in touch with us at teamjoy at joyfuldoctor.com. Um, Adam, thank you so, so much for coming on today, for sharing your story so Uh, openly and courageously thank you for doing the work you're doing to help support other doctors going through tough times Um, and thank you for leading by example you know by doing work that you know you feel valued in and that gives value Um, I really really appreciate everything you're doing and and for coming on today to the podcast thank you oh no no, not at all thank you so much Caroline thanks for having me lovely (laughs) take care bye Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Joyful Doctor podcast, um, one of our special editions about uh, the COVID pandemic and how we can support ourselves as doctors through this um, challenging time. Please, if this podcast has helped you at all or you think it might help others, please do share it um, far and wide. We want to try and reach and help as many doctors as we possibly can to get through um, this time together. We are going to get through this together. Thank you for listening. Bye for now.